Welcome to the Widely Optimized Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Terea Rodriguez, and I'm joined by the lovely co-host, Evie Tackett. Both of us are functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners, and we love working with women from all over the world through our virtual programs, helping women not only feel better, but actually achieve that vibrant, no-holds-barred version of themselves they've been missing for a long time. And how we actually get there? Well, that is what this show is all about. Now, please keep in mind that this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. And if you like what you hear today, we would love for you to hit that follow button, leave a review in Apple podcast, share with your friends and keep coming back for more. Let's start today's adventure, shall we? So today we're going to talk about breath and everything that has to do with breath. And this is something that Abby and I have alluded to a number of times in different podcast episodes on parasympathetic nervous system, et cetera. So we wanted to devote today's conversation to breath and breath work and why it's so important to pay attention to our breath. And I know, Abby, you've even taken a formal workshop and now you actually teach breath work too. So why don't we just kick it off and talk a little bit about that workshop that you went to and why you went to this workshop about breath? Because don't we all breathe? Like we all just breathe, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I shared this in the cold plunge episode because that's that's really how I, you know, got into it. Is it was part of doing my first cold plunge was part of the breath work workshop. So in that workshop, we spent four hours basically learning how to breathe. And I say learning how to breathe, which sounds funny because people are like, Well, I'm breathing all the time. And the difference that I learned is we're actually respirating all the time. That's what our body's doing subconsciously, right? You don't have to think about it, which is really good. We don't want to be thinking like, okay, heart pump. Okay, lungs breathe. Right. So it's nice that our body does that on its own. But that's so then when we're breathing, we're actually making that conscious effort to do that. And so there's a difference between respirating and breathing. And so again, this is really focusing on the breath work of it, of us being consciously doing that. So that was a really interesting workshop. It forced me to think about things in a different way. And I knew that breath work, really the only base that I had on breath work was like the Wim Hof method, mm-hmm. which I know who he is. I know why people do it. I figure there's a lot of benefits, but I hadn't gone any further than that. And so this was not Wim Hof that I learned. I actually don't do anything Wim Hof related. I mean, I'm sure there's similar things, but it's Which not specific is to Wim interesting Hof. to me because the cold plunges are often associated with Wim Hof, yet you yeah. went to a cold plunge um, and breathwork workshop, but it wasn't necessarily Wim Hof. Exactly. So that was exactly. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that was also because the person that led it is a neuromuscular therapist. And so he's looking at it from like moving bodies and not just like breathing. It, you know, he's looking at it from different areas. And so, you know, mm-hmm. what I learned is there's three legs to breathing. There's a physiological leg, which is vasodilation, right? It's really focusing on that. So increasing circulation of blood to move throughout the body. There is psychological aspect of breathing, which that's more of a mental emotional state. So when we learn to breathe properly, we can get our body into a relaxed state. We can calm ourselves down. We can reduce stress. And there's the physical part of breathing. So breathing properly can really change the way that your body moves. 
So that's really interesting because I've noticed that a lot in the past year of being able to breathe better and practicing breathing continuously every day, every week, every month. I've noticed that I'm not as stiff. I notice that my hips move a little bit better. I notice that my shoulders are a little bit better. I feel like my posture is better. And it's all because I'm learning how to breathe properly. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, they start out with belly breathing, which, yeah, yeah, I mean, belly breathing is not inherently bad. That's definitely one of the first things I heard and thought about with breathing is I'm just going to breathe into my belly. But what you're missing is that, you know, take a second and think about it. Where are your lungs? They're They're not not in my belly. (laughs) Yeah, they're behind your ribs. And so really, we want to be breathing into our belly and our chest. And so again, belly breathing can be a good place to start and a good cue for people who just don't have any awareness or any foundation to this. But once I started to really think about breathing into my chest and moving my ribs, right? Like you want your ribs to move. So the example I give and that I remind myself is, you know, for women who, you know, if you're wearing a bra, then, you know, you have that bra strap going around like over top your ribs. You want to be breathing so that you can even feel kind of like pushing against that a little bit, right? If you can feel that getting tighter or even if you put like an exercise band around you and you feel your ribs pushing out and the band gets tighter and tighter, you know that you're moving your ribs. Yeah. And so by doing that, you know, you're improving the ability, the capacity which your lungs can move as well because the ribs are literally like a cage for your lungs, And so if your ribs aren't moving, your lungs are going to have a hard time moving as well. So you're not going to get a lot of oxygen inside. You're not going to get a lot of airflow and that's going to disrupt your breathing. And when we're, you know, sitting around or standing around or whatever we're doing, when we're not focusing on our breath, that's what I'm trying to say, right? We don't really think about our ribs moving at all. And so, you know, it's the moment you start to bring awareness to the breath, usually what'll happen is you get that belly breath first, because that's where a lot of people subconsciously end up breathing. But when we start to practice, so for me, one of the methods that I learned in terms of moving the rib cage is just holding my hands on the lower ribs on the rib cage while I was lying down and causing the ribs to expand outward, right? And and. Yes. And then also front to back, right? So side to side and then front to back, right? And really trying to get those ribs to expand. And in the beginning, it was difficult because of course the tissues in between the ribs were not exactly uh, used to being moved, right? So they had to get a little bit more flexible in that way. And then also the upper ribs. So placing my hands above my chest and getting the upper chest to expand. And that was a huge awareness point for me in terms of breath and how much capacity my lungs actually were able to hold that wasn't a typical standard like breathing on a normal basis, right? Right. Different cues that work for different people, but you know, it can be helpful to lie down, like you said, and put your hands on the bottom of your ribs or even like have your fingers like an inch or so away from your ribs and try and think of breathing east to west right? Mm, Instead of breathing north to south, trying to take your breath out. So that way, when you breathe east to west, can you touch your fingers? Does your, do your ribs actually move out that far that you can touch your fingers? And there's other manipulations you can do to get your body to do this because this might be hard for someone on their own to do. So again, I've had manual work done to my body to help me 
find those cues and loosen it up. And you're talking about your upper ribs, like basically, you know, above, like in your chest, you yeah. can even like, if you really push in far enough, you can feel in between each one and you can just go in with your fingers and start to kind of massage those out and loosen up everything in between there. And that can get things moving a little bit too. Cause again, the ribs are meant to move in that way. They just get really mm-hmm. stuck and stiff, which then makes sense as to why we feel stuck and stiff right? Absolutely. If we're not breathing properly, our organs aren't going to move properly, then why are we going to be able to move properly? Yeah. One of, one of the interesting uh, introductions to breath work that I had when I was younger actually came through having my first panic attack, right? It's like getting that feeling of like the, the world is collapsing in and I can't see very well and I'm seeing spots and that kind of thing. It really came from and it, it took a doctor explaining to me that part of those feelings that happen during a panic attack is because of the, you mentioned it before, the um, physiological exchange of gases in the blood, right? So the buildup of CO2, because the breath was so shallow for such a long period of time that there wasn't enough oxygen in the blood and therefore the buildup of CO2 caused the tingling, caused the narrowing of vision, et cetera. So, you know, just knowing that you can almost always stop a panic attack if you catch yourself and try and take less than eight breaths a minute. In the moment, that was like, what? People die that way. No, they don't die that way. It's actually very easy. And now I can take less than eight breaths a minute fairly easily, right? But just understanding that if we slow down our breathing and expand our lungs to get more of that oxygen in, that we're changing the physiological chemistry of the blood, basically, in terms of how much we're oxygenating our blood. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up because they I mean they as in like there's literature that shows it's easy to determine whether someone else someone will have a panic attack based on how they're breathing hours before they even have a panic attack yeah so if you are breathing in a certain way and maybe you're not even aware of it but you're having really shallow breath at work you know in the morning and you have a panic attack that evening I mean, that probably was something that could have been detected if you were paying attention to your breath being shallow. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge thing is sometimes, you know, even just with clients, they'll say, oh, I really suffer from panic attacks. And again, that can be a multitude of things. But one of the kind of lower hanging fruit things to explore is like, well, are you even breathing properly? And sometimes that can be the thing that really nips it in the bud or at least helps. So I'd really encourage people to look at are you taking deep breaths and are you taking slow breaths, right? You know, are they shallow and quick? And things to also consider is that one of the things that was said at the breathwork workshop was noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating and talking. And I think about that a lot of, you know, I sometimes catch myself with my mouth open and I'm just, you know, sitting there breathing and being a mouth breather. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that because, and there's a lot of reasons why not, but you brought up the whole like oxygen and CO2 balance. And Mm -hmm. so when we're breathing through our nose, we are increasing nitric oxide, which nitric oxide is going to contribute to vasodilation, which is meaning that our blood can travel through the blood vessels a lot quicker. So it can get to organs and where we need them in the body. So you're increasing that. And it's also better because, again, and well, I'm sure we'll reference this again, but the book Breath by James Nestor is fabulous really book resource on this. And there's so many illnesses and diseases and childhood developmental issues that are tied to mouth breathing. Mm-hmm. And so just 
you know, even like allergies, asthma, like depression, and all of these things are tied to that. And so really trying to increase your nostril breathing is important. And again, that might start with you having to practice that consciously. And maybe it's a five minute a day thing of you set your timer and for five minutes every day, you just breathe through your nose. And if you want to take it a step further, I would recommend that when you do breathe through your nose, make sure that your inhale is silent. You don't want anybody to hear your inhale. If you're going, yeah, that's a little too loud, right? That's a little too violent. We need to have right. a soft, quiet inhale. And then the, the exhale might be louder. And especially if you're, if you want to then breathe through your mouth on the exhale, like let's say you're doing more deeper breathing and you're practicing really moving your lungs and getting all that air out through your mouth. At that point, you would want it to make noise, right? You would want to imagine a, a mirror in front of you and you want to make that really foggy. So it would be a silent inhale of, and the exhale could go <sighs> until you get all that air out. So that could be a place for someone to start. But the other thing that you mentioned with the CO2, which is interesting, is like, I think we can all think back to when we were little at the swimming pool in the summertime or at the beach or something. And, you know, a friend or an older sibling like was messing with us and they, you know, pushed us under the water and kept our head under there. And at some point you start to freak out and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. It's I don't terrifying. have any air. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's because we don't have a great tolerance to CO2. So like you were saying with the panic attacks, you can build a better threshold and tolerance for CO2 in your body. Absolutely. And you can do that through different breathing techniques. Like one of my favorite ones for that is called apnea breathing, which is a ratio breathing. Say, yeah. Yeah. Apnea breathing is exactly what this is designed to do is help, you know, build your body's tolerance to CO2. And they use it specifically for free diving technique is when I think most people use it. But I also know several different fitness instructors who will teach apnea breathing. And I believe some of Wim Hof's method is also based on apnea breathing. But explain it for us. What is apnea breathing? Yeah. So apnea breathing is ratio breathing. And the there's different ratios, but the simplest and best one to start with is a one to one so again, the goal is to build your tolerance to CO2. So when you are holding your breath, you're testing your body's ability to handle having that much CO2 in it. So instead of like wanting to rush and exhale because you can't tolerate all that CO2, you want to build that up. So that way, if you do have someone hold your head underwater, it's not going to be a thing because you can hold your breath and it doesn't bother you and you don't panic. So yeah. for a one to one ratio, you could start with a four second inhale. Again, it'd be silent and then you would pause for eight and then you would exhale for four seconds. Yeah. So it's the one to one ratio and maybe four seconds is too easy. So then you would go in with you would inhale for five seconds. That means you would hold for 10 seconds and then you would exhale for five. So again, there's all different types of ratios when it comes to apnea breathing, but that one is a really good place to start, especially if you don't have a lot of experience with apnea breathing. And yeah. you'd be amazed at how long you can hold your breath and how quickly you can get to that point when you start doing it this way. And again, you know, I've, I've been in rooms with people who are practicing this and they, they get kind of freaked out of like, I can't hold my breath for eight seconds or I felt like I was going to like, I felt like I was going to faint or that was too much. And I just remind them like, you're in a safe room. You're sitting on the floor. Someone is there. Like nothing is going to happen to you because guess what? If it gets to be too much, all you know is that, hey, I can take, I can exhale right now and I'll feel better. Yeah. You know, like you yeah. don't have to force yourself to do it to the point where it's going to be like medically dangerous for you to do that. But it's also good awareness of like, 
if I have trouble holding my breath for eight seconds, like I've got some work to do. So then maybe yeah. you start with six seconds or whatever, but exactly, it's definitely, again, important for us to learn to tolerate CO2 because one, you never know when you're going to need to hold your breath. And two, if you are forced to hold your breath for some reason, or you want to, or you want to slow down your breaths, like you said, you can breathe less than eight breaths in a minute. That means that you need to really be able to tolerate CO2 and to have slower breaths. Yeah. I was working with a movement trainer a number of years ago. And one of the things that we worked on was apnea breath. And the intention was to be able to hold your breath for a longer period of time. And, you know, when we started out, the instructor was like, okay, so who here can hold their breath for two minutes? And like, nobody's raising their hand, right? So crickets. And what was really fascinating is we use that same ratio type breathing for like five minutes. We would just do it for five minutes. And then at the end of the five minutes, or maybe it was three, it doesn't even have to be that long. But at the end of the period of time where we were doing the ratio breathing, we would then inhale a full lung of air and then exhale the full lung of air and then hold that for as long as we could. And I was shocked to find that when we tried to do the exhale piece and hold our breath for a longer period of time without doing that ratio breathing ahead of time, I could maybe hold my breath for 15, 20 seconds, maybe, right? But then after doing that ratio breathing, one minute became very easy. And so then it became a challenge each time we practiced to try and see how long you could hold your breath after that. I think I've gotten up to like maybe one minute, 40 seconds. But for me, that's a very long time of being able to hold my breath. But it's amazing that we can use these very simple techniques and using them intentionally and repeatedly can change our body's ability to do something so quickly. That was just what blew my mind. Yeah. And again, you can actually start by testing this there. I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head, but there's the bolt test and the CO2 tolerance test. They're essentially the same. And what you want to do is take a few inhales and exhales normally, get a regulated breath going. And then on your final inhale, you're going to inhale. And then on the exhale, you're going to exhale all the way until you get all the air out. And then you want to start a timer and you want to see how long you can hold your breath before you take another inhale. And that's a good starting point of where you are. And then yeah. after you know weeks and maybe months of doing breath work, you can retest again and see now how long can I wait until I take another breath. So that's a really cool way to track progress with this because I know sometimes people like there are some people who are like, well, how would I even know that I'm getting better? Well, that's a way that you could track it is using the CO2 tolerance test or the bolt test. And you could really see like, does that improve at all in any way? But yeah, it's been really interesting to see the differences. And again, to feel the difference, because when you were saying that you can take less than eight breaths per minute, that's actually really impressive because, you know, they say taking 5.5 breaths a minute. Yeah. Which I mean, and you and I wear aura rings, so we get to see what our respiratory rate is overnight and all that. And I see them from clients and not many people are near that. Most people are above 10 for sure. You know, maybe even into like close to 20s. You're taking 20 breaths per minute. And the ideal for humans is five and a half. Yeah. That's close to hyperventilation. Yeah, that's so many breaths per minute. And that's, again, I think why a lot of people are walking around stressed out and on the verge of a panic attack because you're not breathing deeply. You're not taking long inhales and long exhales. You're just breathing and (sighs) trying to get by. And so if we really think about it and shift and slow down our breath, I 
there's just no way that you wouldn't notice a difference physically and mentally. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the mental emotional side for breath work. I mean, we talked a little bit about the parasympathetic nervous system when we were talking about that and how breath work can help us shift into parasympathetic. You and I both have used breath work as a means to help move emotions. Do you have a particular type of breath work method that does that for you? Yeah. The quickest one that works for me is alternate nostril breathing. Mm -hmm. That one is one that, again, just within a few reps of that, I can immediately tell that my body is more relaxed yeah, and that I'm not as stressed and that my, I feel like I'm getting deeper breaths. And so that is what it sounds like is you would, you know, close one nostril and you don't want to jam your finger against your nostril, right? You don't want to like jam the right one shut. It's just gently closing the right one. And then you would take an inhale through the left and then you would switch to exhale and then you would keep that one open, inhale, and then switch to exhale. So that one I feel like gets me relaxed the fastest. And I like it that it's versatile in the form of, I mean, you could do breath work anywhere, but this one I do feel like it's very easy to just, oh, okay, I'm going to do alternate nostril. I don't need to like get on the floor, like feel like I need to set the mood. It's just like, I'm going to do this real quick before I walk into this meeting. I'm going to do this real quick before I walk into the grocery store. And again, within a few reps, I feel like my body is coming down. My heart rate is slowing down. Down, my racing thoughts are slowing down. So that's been my go-to. What are which one do you tend to gravitate towards? So I think it's been called somatic breath work, but don't quote me on that because most of the breath work classes that I've taken, I haven't really paid attention to what is the name of this style of breath work. I just go for the experience. But multiple times now I've been taught this particular technique. And usually you're lying on your back, but you are taking a a hand on the belly, hand on the chest, and you take a breath into the belly to fill up the belly, and then you take another breath in to fill up the chest. So it's both. And then you exhale both through the mouth. So both of the inhales are through the nose and the exhale is through the mouth. And you do it rather quickly. So it's like in, in, out, in, in, out. And that can be done for anywhere from like seven to 20 minutes. There are some people that practice this for much longer than that. But that technique has a way of moving emotions out of the body. So when I'm in one of those states where I'm just feeling a little bit agitated or irritable, but I can't quite figure out what it is I'm feeling or what's triggered it or what's going on, I will use just a quick seven minutes of that type of breath work. And sure enough, I mean, just fair warning, like every time I do it, tears come out. Like that's just how it is. But that's the intention really is to help me move those emotions out because it's less about figuring out what started it or identifying what it is. And it's more about the movement of that. And so if I don't have the time or the wherewithal or the situation to go like go for an intense hike or go for a bike ride or whatever, like I can't go to the gym and lift a ton of weights right now, then I'll do seven minutes of that. And that will really move the emotion. And and we talk about emotion a lot in our health practice because that emotion is tied into biology and how the biology of the body is actually working too. So they're very tied together. And so this is a technique that we, both you and I have used is breath work to help with the emotional processing of it all because we know that it has a tie into the biology and it can help somebody heal faster when they can move those emotions out of the body. But exactly. that's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the more second nature 
breathwork becomes and the more conscious you are of learning how to breathe and slowing your breath down and taking full breaths, the easier it's going to be for you on a day-to-day basis so that when something does rev you up, you know, whether that's a work situation or you're stuck in traffic or your spouse looked at you the wrong way, like you're able to, your body already knows, oh, we're getting revved up. We need to do breath work. And so it might Mm -hmm. slow down. And like, there's times when I feel overwhelmed and before my brain has even caught up to what my emotions are, you know, manifesting physically as, I notice that, oh, I just took a deep breath. That's interesting. Like, I didn't even realize I needed that. And now I'm like aware of the situation that I'm feeling overwhelmed and my body is already looking for ways to calm down. So Mm -hmm. that's been really cool for me to see. Or sometimes I even see that happen like, it looks like I'm yawning, but I'm not really yawning. My body's just like starving for breath. And so I'll think about it like, have I not been breathing well the past, you know, bit? And is that why my body is like looking for it and yawning? Because I'll do it. And I'm like, I'm not even tired. Why am I doing that? And I realize, oh, my body's just looking for a way to get more oxygen in here. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, back when I used to fly for a living, when we were training for noticing hypoxia symptoms in a pilot or crew member, or whatever, even passengers, whatever. One of the symptoms is yawning, like sleepiness, right? It's like if we are at an altitude where we're not getting enough oxygen because there isn't enough oxygen in the air, then of course there's that yawning tendency that will happen. And it can happen at sea level at any time for any one of us because we're just not breathing properly, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's hypoxia because of altitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm noticing the whole time that we're talking, for those of us who are on video, Evie has a poster behind her. And what does that word say? (laughs) It says breathe. (laughs) Yes, it does. I've taken it that far if I just, I like having the reminders everywhere I go. And so I admittedly, I have not been as great at practicing breath work as much as I would like in the last few months, but it's still something that I'm obviously conscious of. And I do a lot Mm -hmm. of breath work actually within my workouts. So I guess that's not completely true. But when I was redesigning my home office, I knew I wanted something and I was like, well, if I had to pick a word, what would it be? And it would be breathe to remind me that really everything begins and ends with breath. And breath is the fastest way to get me back to where I need to be. You know, it's the fastest way to get me back into my body. And because my thoughts will be racing and I feel like the world is just spinning and everything is going out of control. And so when I can get grounded in my breath and I can feel my breath and move, feel my ribs moving up and down, I'm immediately brought back and I'm just like reminded that, okay, it's, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And so I just love that reminder for myself. Cool. I love it. Let's finish up by sharing some of the practical ways to integrate breathwork. Breathwork has become a very popular thing to talk about. And that's what we see a lot is that people talk about breathwork a lot, but they don't really talk about, okay, let's get written down to the brass tacks here. Like, how do we integrate breathwork? And I think one of the ways that I started doing it was I used that term called habit stacking or trying to find a trigger that was in my everyday world to remind me to breathe. And one of the things that I came up with and chose was every time I saw a brake light. So this was when I was commuting a lot. So kind of broke down during the pandemic and I wasn't actually in a car that much. But every time I saw a brake light would be my trigger to remind myself to breathe. So every time we were coming up against a stoplight or a stop sign or whatever, and that worked really, really well to integrate it and just assign and decide a trigger every day 
to be able to remind me to breathe. How have you integrated that? You said you do breath work in your workouts. So how have you integrated it into your workouts? Yeah, so it's actually a part of the workout itself, which is really cool. So some of the warmups that I do have to do with taking like five to six breaths. And so different things to like get my ribs to move a little bit, get my shoulders to open up, get my back to open up, get my neck to move better. So I would do different exercises for that. But when I first learned about breath work after that workshop, I just made the commitment that I'm going to set my timer for five minutes every day. And I didn't stick to like, it has to be in the morning or it has to be in the evening. It was just whenever I could do it. And I thought logistically, like five minutes is not a long time. We can do a lot of things for five minutes. And so I would put on music that I, you know, I wanted to listen to anyways. And so I would just do some breath work. And that's how I got into it. And then I started to realize, well, this might be better at night. So but then it's like, well, I'm too tired. or I just want to get to bed. So I would get in bed. And again, with alternate nostril breathing being my favorite, that's easy to do in bed too. So I would just mm -hmm. do that while I'm laying down in bed. So I've just played around with it a little bit. I'm also just of that person that I think it's it's easier for me to say, like, I'm going to set a timer and do this now. Like, that's what works for me. But I also think the trigger that you have is also really helpful, too, for people who maybe don't operate in the way of like, I'm going to set aside five minutes. But really, regardless of what you do, it doesn't have to be this big, long, drawn out thing. And yeah. the nice thing about breath work is that it's not a one to one ratio of I've been stressed for eight hours. So I have to do eight hours of breath work. If you were <laughs> Isn't stressed, that beautiful. <laughs> yeah. If you were stressed at work for like, you know, all day long, it was a really crazy, hectic day. You don't have to come home and like only do breath work the rest of the night. You can just do five minutes and that might be enough. So yeah. I love I love that. And I remind myself of that, too, because if I'm having a really stressful day, I just I'm like, you know, I can just do five minutes of breath work. One of my favorite songs is like almost five minutes long anyways. So I'm like, I could just turn that on and just breathe the entire song. Perfect. And that works. So don't let that be something that stops you is that you think it's going to be this long thing where you need to light the candles, you need to get the yoga mat out, you got to like, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be something in your car before you walk into the house to the kids. You know, it can be yep. something really quick that you do. And it might actually alter the way the rest of the day goes for you. I love that you also started doing it right before sleeping, right? So you'd climb into bed, you're already lying down. One of the things that that same movement coach taught us how to do, and this was mostly for sleep benefit, actually. So it kind of ties into breath work, but breath work has so many wonderful benefits and it's so it can help with your sleep. So one thing to try is you lie down, you're getting ready for bed anyway, and you do 10 breaths of belly breath and then rib cage breath and then top of the chest breath. So you're literally putting your hands on those parts of your body and feeling it. I've never been able to get to all 30 breaths. <laughs> I'm always out like a oh, light. I believe it's it. amazing that it just like it completely triggers a deep relaxation state. And then it's so much easier to fall asleep. So anytime I'm having difficulty with falling asleep, or I forgot to wear my blue light blockers, because you know, let's be real, sometimes that happens. And I'm a little bit wired up before I, I fall asleep. I'll do that. So I do the 10, 10 and 10. I've never made it to 30. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I believe yeah. it. Yeah. I can see why. Because again, once you get into a rhythm, it really is so relaxing. It is. It really is. 
So cool. If anybody has questions, feel free to write us, DM us, whatever. We're happy to answer some of your questions. We would love it if you would tag us if you're doing some breath work. That would be super fun. So go ahead and tag us on social media. And of course, if you really enjoy this or hear somebody or know of somebody who could benefit from some breath work, then please share this episode with them. It really does help us and it goes a long way to help spreading the word about this podcast. We appreciate you so much and we'll see you at the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Wildly Optimized Wellness Podcast. If you are ready to dig deeper into your health, stop playing the wackest symptom game, start testing to get better guidance, you can find more about Terea at tereyarodriguez.com and you can find Evie at holisticallyrestored.com. Want to peek into what it's like to work with us? Come join us at our Optimized Wellness community. You can find the invitation link in the show notes below. And if you have a question for the show, you can submit your question under the podcast section of TereaRodriguez.com. Finally, if you found something helpful in this episode, don't forget to leave a review, hit that follow button, or share it with a friend. They're going to love that you thought of them. Until next time, see you outside. <laughs>